So, Bob, today I was on Reddit, and there's a subreddit called Talk Therapy, in which people talk about talk therapy. And someone posted this picture with various different warning signs for therapists. So it says therapist warning signs, and it has all these different warning signs of if your therapist is bad. And I thought you and I would go over each of these and evaluate them. What do you say, Bob? Yeah, that's, I'm curious. Yeah. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. And I'm your friend, Bob, from graduate school 100 years ago and a therapist here in practice in Seattle. So therapist warning signs, let's start from the top. Right they, they ignore confidentiality. Is that a good warning sign to look out for to see if your therapist is bad? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 What what kind of things might you see commonly if there was a problem with a therapist that ignored confidentiality? They would reveal identifying information. Right. Uh, they would talk about cases in a specific way. Uh, cases. They would talk about their clients in a specific way that made them perhaps more easy to identify. Um I always think, you know, if they have a problem with that, then they probably have some, like, loose personal boundaries where they're talking too much about themselves or usurping the hour um, and dragging focus onto, you know, something that's not what the client's there for or whatever. Yeah, I I almost always see that when there are small indications of problems. It's usually the tip of the iceberg with, with these people. Yeah, the things that I've seen similar are... A therapist says something like, oh, uh, you work at the same place as my other client, and it's so-and-so, or something like that. I I hear stories like that. I've seen situations like that. And my, well, why do you think therapists would do that? Why do you think they would break confidentiality in a situation like that? I think it's personal gratification. Like, it feels good to make connections, and um, there's a sort of a gossipy bit to it. Right. It's sort of like... I've been there before, right. or, you know, someone's talking about Denzel Washington. It's like, you know, I met him once. You right. know, there's just this compulsion to share yeah. that you know and that you're in on something. You have a personal connection. Yeah. You're not just some out-of-touch person. And I think that therapists fall into that uh, compulsion sometimes against their hopefully better judgment. Right. Um, I also think that some therapists think it actually helps to make those connections. Like, I know what it's like to work in your department because I have another client there. Or I, um, I don't know, just trying your best to connect with people, I guess, a shortcut to connect. Yeah. All right. Another one is there just isn't chemistry. Is that a warning sign that a therapist is bad? Well, I think, it, I don't know if there, it makes the therapist bad. It would just maybe, if if I'm understanding what's meant, maybe it means that there's not my therapist. Right. Yeah. I don't know if it's a bad therapist. It's just that it's not a good fit. Yeah. They dodge your questions. It depends. There's squirrely dodging, and then there's therapeutic dodging. Well, dodging is the wrong way to think about it, though. Just because someone asks doesn't mean I want to answer I want to be mindful about that, but not necessarily like, oh, I'm going to be a blank screen. I don't believe in the blank screen, but I do believe that the meaning of the question is perhaps every bit as or even more important than the actual answer to the question. Right. So if someone asked me, 
you know, what is my diagnosis or something. I, I'm apt to tell them, but I'm not going to be super direct if it's something like borderline. You know, I might say, well, okay, let's talk about that. Here's my conceptualization. You have relational traumas that relate, that re, um, that cause you to have sensitivities in your adult life. And those sensitivities can lead to feeling very hurt, understandably, and to be uh, maybe a little overreactive sometimes because you're really trying to make sure that this never happens again, which makes sense. In the DSM language, we might use the word borderline, but if you, you know, so I might be, I might provide a lot of caveats and I might dodge maybe kind of because of the stigma on the internet that would really hurt someone if if I just threw that label out there or something. But that that phenomenological description of what is happening for a person is far more valuable than the DSM label. Right. But one could interpret it as kind of dodging or something. Yeah. Or or if someone asked me a personal question. Right. Or if someone asked me a question like have you ever, you know, done drugs? Uh it's I've, I have a policy about certain personal questions that I just don't answer. Yeah. I, sometimes I wonder if it's absolutely necessary that I dodge those questions. But but uh, anyway, so, yeah. you know, a, a common question that I will dodge would be a teenager, for example, will ask me, have you ever done drugs or something like that? And I say, yeah. I'm sorry, I just don't answer those kinds of questions. It's not yeah. really relevant. If you're If you're wanting to know if I know the effects of drugs or what drugs are used for or how good they can make you feel and sort of the downsides of them. I'm, you know, I'm pretty confident that I do know that the answer is to those questions. It's, um, or if you're trying to gauge whether or not I'm going to judge you for using drugs, then let me tell you, I don't, people are free to do what they want to do. I'm not your mom. I'm not your dad. I'm not your police officer or anything. I'm your therapist. And so you can talk about whatever you want to here. And people of various ages use substances. But anyway, yeah. so I might dodge questions like that. But if you dodge a question like what we talked about, you know, a few episodes ago, you call up a therapist and you're like, how, how would you treat trauma or what's your right. theoretical orientation or prove to me that you understand complex PTSD and they dodge your questions, then that's definitely a warning sign. Yeah. Big time warning sign. That that's a warning sign. Yeah, they don't respond actively. They don't respond actively. Is that a warning sign that a therapist is bad? I'm not sure I understand what that means. Yeah, I don't either. But I suspect that what they're referring to is when a client will be talking and the therapist seems like they're not really listening, or mm. they have that kind of blank slate style where mm. they're not super involved and they're just like look you're just here free associating and i'm just here listening and don't don't expect much from me i don't know many therapists that would be that way even the bad ones really (laughs) they overshare is that a warning sign that a therapist is bad i'd say that's a warning sign yeah what does that look like typically um sharing a lot of personal information without um an understanding of how or if it has any value or meaning to the client or to the alliance or the work that the client is there, work, um, the reasons that the client is there, 
I'd say, because the problem with oversharing is it's a loss of perspective. Like, what is this for? This is somebody's coming to talk to me because they want or need something, but they don't, they didn't come to hire me to entertain them or to um, tell interesting stories or to talk about myself. So I, I don't really have a problem with personal disclosure if it, I believe it has meaning and value to what's happening either in the moment or if um, something I might share about my own self would provide some kind of relief or other benefit to my client, then yeah, fine. But I've seen therapists who just blab and ugh. Yeah. Yuck. It just makes me, I get the yucky feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, research shows that effective self-disclosure to better outcomes can absolutely be a wonderful thing. And the hallmarks of effective self-disclosure for better outcomes are that it's as brief as possible, mm -hmm. that it's in the service of the client's mm -hmm. goals or, you know, in service of something that is actually therapeutic. Mm -hmm. And that the therapist has resolved the issue enough such that they can talk about it without making it about them. Right. Uh, you can also just self-disclose kind of randomly, you know, a little bit of chit chat at the beginning, you know, how's the pandemic going for you? That kind of stuff. Right. Uh, that's pretty rough. You could argue that's still the service of the therapeutic relationship, yeah. you know, to be able to bond on that Yeah. or just to acknowledge reality, right. you know, to just say, hey, we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about you. seems a little it's, strange yeah. and inhuman. And so that's the hallmarks of self-disclosure. And again, the first criteria mm -hmm. that I, criterion I mentioned is short. It should, mm -hmm. needs to be short. And the second one, it needs to be in service of the, the client's goals. And, you know, for you clients out there, uh, and I've been in this, I've been in this position too, in various contexts, whether it's being as a client or as a supervisee, where the therapist or supervisor just blabs and blabs and blabs. Mm -hmm. And the impression I get is they either don't think about this as a service that is for me. You know, they think about it like, well, hey, we're just two people sitting down talking and we both have equal space or something, you know. Like, a, an analogy is you, you go to the dentist, and the dentist, like, sits down in the patient chair and, you know, says, hey, could you take a look at my teeth for a while? <laughs> <laughs> right? It, no dentist would do that. It, it's very clear. Like, yeah. you are the patient. Right. You sit down in the right. chair, and the dentist is the one that looks in your mouth. And I feel like some therapists literally have this mindset of, like, well, we're both human beings here. And so we both deserve to like, um, discuss our, yeah. our days or what's on our mind right. instead of no, no, no. Like you have your people that you can talk to. You have your therapist, right. your people, your supervisor, right. your friends. Uh, this is, this is a time, a sacred space yeah. for a client to feel the warm womb of therapy and be fully paid attention to mm -hmm. And you're a human being and you're in the room, but you're not using the time for yourself. Mm -mm. You know, similar to a relationship between parent and child where you, your third grader comes home from school or you're picking up your third grader from school and your third grader is like, oh, it was such a terrible day. And then you're like, oh, as a, as a parent, you're like, oh, well, let me tell you, Jennifer, mm -hmm. 
my day was terrible too. I think we all understand that that there's a time and a place for that, and that some in some context it really needs to be mostly one directional in terms yeah. of the attention and love and warmth. Yeah, and therapy is no different. But again, I just think that some people just don't have the boundaries, or they don't have any friends, or they're trained terribly. Or they, I, I get the, they get the, tell me about this spot. I get the yeah. impression that some people that do this, their impression of what therapy is, is, well, I think there's two versions. One is just pure narcissism where the, the therapist just is so self-centered that they just love talking about themselves and in, including in context where it just doesn't make any sense. And they probably do that in all contexts, like mm. in the, grocery line they just start yammering at the cashier or uh you know they just it's like hey i've got things on my mind and you're going to listen and you know they're the kind of people that you're always trying to edge away out of the office you know you're like <laughs> you're like okay then and then they just keep talking and you're, yeah, yeah uh well got a you know long day well what are you gonna do well catch you later and then they just keep yammering and you're just like does this ever end so I think there's that kind, you know, yeah. obviously the bell curve of life, they're going to have some of those individuals sure. that end up being therapists. Right, right. But I think another version is a therapist that comes from like a more floppy theoretical understanding of what therapy is and actually believes that that kind of, I don't know, authenticity in quotes is what helps clients. Have, have you seen that attitude in some therapists? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, terrible. Yeah. Yeah. What have you seen? Well, I remember reading a book about, a, uh, it was a memoir. So, and this guy was talking about how this therapist was in his, it was that Augustin Barros, you know that guy? Mm. Uh, rings a bell. Yeah, I can't remember. Anyways, this therapist was a psychiatrist, therapist, who was providing family therapy and then therapy for his mother in particular. And then I think they were sort of like living with the guy. And he, he was like one of these guru types, you know, like developing a following or something. I didn't read the whole book. I just read that bit of it. And um, it just gave me the, it just gave me the willies, like the creeps, right? Like, like this sort of, ign- I think the thing that bothers me about that is there's an, like a willful ignorance, like and a rationalizing that I think is, you know, like bad breath, hard to smell your own, where people think or tell themselves and believe that they are doing something that's in the service of the other, but has truly, really nothing to do with the other. I I really believe that there is a time for not self-disclosure, that if a client asks me a question, it's really more important not to answer it, not because you know, I'm trying to hide something or whatever, but because the meaning of the question, if I'm really paying attention, the meaning of the question can be uh, an, uh, an area worth a great deal of exploration. So oftentimes I'll respond to that kind of question with, you know, I'm happy to answer that. And what I want to, if it's okay, what I'd like to do is focus on maybe what it is that you're looking for, because mm-hmm. that matters. Um, and to learn about a person that way. Um, and um, hopefully you know, have discovery, um, of whatever's, you know, in the motive of the thing, but no question itself is bad. So, um, but, but what to do really depends. 
Anyways, I'm not interested in yanking the spotlight away from somebody and using. The, I mean, people pay me a lot of money, man. They, they right. They deserve my attention. Right. That that's kind of the thing that I often come to as well. It's like they're paying a lot of money to listen to me yammer for five minutes about no. something that happened on the weekend that has nothing to right. do right. with what they're here for. Right. They pay money. They made the trek out to my office. Right. They're here being vulnerable, and I'm just completely wasting their their precious time. Yeah. And that's the way it feels as a right. client when you have that happen to you. You just right. feel like I'm paying to listen to my therapist just talk about their own life, right. and I'm not interested in it. Yeah. Um, they make you feel inferior. Is that a warning sign that someone is a bad therapist? Feeling inferior might be par for the course for a lot of us. So I can't say that the experience of feeling inferior is by itself a warning sign. Um, but if a, if a, somebody's doing something active to make you feel that way, that's probably bad. Doesn't matter who they are, therapist, doctor, best friend. That's, that's you know, yuck. Yeah, I think it depends on what we mean by inferior. Right. And you're touching on, I think, a lot of it. Uh, if we're talking about belittle you know the act the active belittling of you and they are you know looking down on you or or kind of ridiculing you in a certain way making you feel like you're stupid or something Mm -hmm. or insufficient somehow would be a warning sign for sure but if you have some transference around inferiority that just naturally occur when you're in a, a close therapeutic relationship then that isn't ha- doesn't have anything to do with the therapist. It has to do with your own mm-hmm. traumas. They talk over you. Is that a warning sign that someone is a bad therapist? It might be. I can't say just on the surface of it. It it must be. I will talk over people um, intentionally to interrupt. Well, I do a lot of couple therapy, so oftentimes that's necessary. You gotta yeah, yeah. Otherwise, they're paying money to have a fight. Yeah. <laughs> they could have done that for free. So I'll do that, and I'm not shy about that. But um, I'm also very careful. I want to listen. Yeah. So if I'm talking over somebody, I'm probably missing the boat. Right. So it looks like a lot of these yeah. listed on this subreddit, Talk Therapy, are sort of, it depends kind of a thing. It depends, yeah. Uh, you leave each session feeling disappointed. Is that a warning sign that you're with a bad therapist? It might be. I'd be more leaning towards it is, but but I'm you know me. It's always the same thing. You got to talk about that with your therapist. So if I'm leaving sessions disappointed and I'm not talking about it, what's up? Right, because the therapist might literally not know, not know. what you want to do. Right. So that could be a part of just lack of discussion between yeah. you and your therapist or it could be an indication of the of the th- would it be an indication of the therapist um only if you like i said brought it up and said the past few sessions i've left with a feeling of disappointment yeah and and the therapist either doesn't care doesn't listen or doesn't know well enough to how to adjust then then yeah, yeah. but just the feeling of Feeling disappointed in and of itself isn't a warning sign. Yeah. Uh, You don't feel listened to. Same thing. It could be a sign that there's a problem or it could be something else. Um, I'd say more important is if I don't feel listened to, it's what do I do with that and then how does it go? Does the therapist respond with validation, defensiveness, uh, interest? Um, Do they wall up? 
that's probably an indication that if I don't feel listened to, there's a problem is when we talk about it, um, what, what actually happens, what unfolds. But by itself, maybe not. Yeah, agreed. And if this is a frequent feeling, yeah. I would imagine, yes, that's a, either a warning sign that the therapist is bad or a warning sign that you're not a good match for each other. Yeah. I, I consider this to be the single most important criterion that clients should be focused on in the beginning to think, should I be with this person? Right. Do I feel like I'm being listened to? Do I feel like my therapist gets me? Yeah. Do I feel like when I'm, even when I'm talking in a way that I'm not really quite sure what to say next, you know, I'm, I'm talking about something that's really complex and abstract and, and I'm discovering new things as I'm talking about it. Do I feel like the therapist gets it and, or is interested in getting it or is on my wavelength on some yeah. level? And I, I had a therapist once where I did not feel this. I, I felt like he seemed like he was trying. Well, I don't even, it seemed like he cared, mm-hmm. seemed like he cared, seemed like he cared to listen, but didn't understand me, mm-hmm. just did not, or, or, or didn't communicate effectively that he understood me. Yeah. And he was nice and he had a very sort of warm in demeanor and I felt safe enough to yammer, but I didn't feel engaged and I didn't feel at the end of the session, I would, I would look to him and just say like, what do you think? And I didn't really get that he got me. And I expect that in my regular life, if I'm just talking with like a colleague or something, you know, it's frequent where I'll be pouring my heart out and I'll be, and they'll kind of continue the conversation and it'll be kind of clear to me that they don't really get what I'm saying. Maybe I'm just bad at communicating it. I don't know, but that happens a lot. Jeez. Yeah. You know, like I'm at Antioch or something, I'm talking with a fellow professor about some negative experience I had in class and they, you know, they, they can kind of relate to it because they're professors too. But I feel like a lot of the times they don't, I, or we don't see each other. We don't see the world in the same way or, or something. And there's just something off about their understanding of what I'm saying. And I'm guessing it must be in the reverse as well. I, mu- I must also not really get where they're coming from. I don't know. I'm just thinking of a recent event. And I just think that that can happen. Does but, that happen between you and me? Uh, No. Okay. But that's a good question. Well, yeah, you're my friend. Yeah. No. You know what? I'm going to tell you something. Uh-oh. No, no. It's not a bad thing. You matter so much to me that oh. we were talking recently and you were telling me about some stuff that's happening for you. And, you know, I love you and I care about you and I cared about what you were saying to me. And I, I was scared that I wasn't, I wasn't doing a good, doing a good job. Listen to me. That I well, wasn't I think present. That thinks I feel. I mean, I think that's what you. Okay. Right. Well, right. Yeah, right. But I felt I was worried I was letting you down in my response. Yeah. No. You remember what I'm talking about? No. Oh, yeah. I was actually, um, was it last week? No, it was a week and a half ago. Okay. It was a Thursday a week ago. Okay. 
I rang you up because I wanted some help with something that's oh, happening right. in my world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you were telling me this thing that's happening in yours. Right. And, um, you know, I'm happy to... No, you're the best listener, Bob, and you get me. Yeah. And if anything, Bob, what I could tell you is that I can tell sometimes that you're you're scared. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that interferes a little bit. Yeah, I would uh, get that. So, so when you're just you... Yeah. You're but even when you're scared you're a good listener. But I can sense like Yeah. Oh that he, makes sense. he's afraid that he's not listening well. Right. But when you're just you, you're yeah. the best listener. You know That's why I talk to you. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. And I hear what you're saying and I've been you know, you gave me a nice piece of advice a couple weeks ago. You talked about differentiation because I was telling you about something that's going on in my life and we were talking about differentiation and I really took that to heart and I've been thinking about it a lot in all aspects of my life, hmm. work and home and all the other places. And um, I, as I replay that interaction between us, if I just imagine, you know, I'm your friend. Yeah. The thing that's happening is what's happening and I don't got to fix it. I don't have to do anything about it. Um, I, as you said to me, you said, when you differentiate for somebody, you're actually more available to them. Mm. Like you're more available, which I've been noticing bears out in my mm. experience of myself in my connection with others. Um, if I replayed that moment between us and I were going to be more, dif- you know, take a more differentiated stance. Is that a way to say it? Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. Um, I could imagine being present for you in a way I'd like to be present for you. And you are. Um, well, I don't think it's a perfectionist in me to want to, you know, be the perfect listener. Well, not so much that is like, because I'm not really interested in like you know checking a box in my own life and you know um, having gold stars. Well, I think and tell me if this is part of it. All right, I, I, you're more vulnerable than I am. You you talk in more vulnerable ways to me than I do to you. Uh, okay, I don't I, know. Well, okay, you all right? Okay, well, if, if you don't see it that way, then I guess that's good. But my my extension of that was that since I don't open up as much as you do as often, it, we're not really used to it. And, and you want to capitalize and kind of prove to me that, that you're, that, (laughs) that, uh, that I can depend on you, I think is the best way to put it, you know, that I, that I deserve someone to hear me, you know what I mean? yeah. Yeah. And I think you, uh, get worried that I'm going to walk away with a less than optimal kind of listen, <laughs> listen to experience. And, and I think it amps up, it amps up the anxiety of it. But, but I want to reassure you. Yeah. Well, first off, is that kind of the case? There's something to that. Yeah. 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 But I want to reassure you one, eat, you're the best listener. And that's why I do talk to you oh, yeah. Two. Even if things were fifty percent, it's still better than a lot of other people that listen to me. Um, and three, even if it was like twenty percent, I'm okay with myself enough to not fall apart if if literally no one listens to me. Like mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I, it won't feel great, but I don't I don't resent people over it. Right. If anything, I'm like, uh, I'm just like, well suffering is a lonely experience and you can mm-hmm. be with other people and you people can hear you but at the end of the day 
there's a you know there's an isolating element of it that just can't be avoided and mm-hmm. and that sucks but life is suffering you know and all the great philosophers throughout time have alerted us to this fact <laughs> like there's no way around it it's yeah. not like there was an existentialist that got to the end of the rainbow and said <laughs> you know there's this wonderful blissful place where you can actually live in supreme ultimate happiness and togetherness mm-hmm. and you can get all your all your fantasies can be met, you know, like no one ever got to that conclusion. They're like, eh, in the end, it's just kind of you and your suffering and do what you can to reach out to other people. Anyway, my point is, is that there's really no threat that if something went a little wrong, you know, like um, when we were talking about my stuff uh, not too long ago, you had a client that was... Uh, you know, we were talking on the phone, right? And you're like, "Oh crap, I have a." It was like three o one, and yeah. you're like, "I have a three o'clock," right. <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh, you should have bumped me off a while ago." Um, it was kind of in the middle of what I was talking about, but oh. I felt no uh, discomfort or upsetness or cut offness. Yeah. I, I just, you know, I'm living in the in the issue all day all the time anyway right. and so it doesn't it's not like i felt like i was flapping in the wind in that right. moment so so anyway i, I don't know if that helps but yeah. but yeah you are the best listener yeah. I, I don't know anyone in my life who listens better than you do by far wow yeah wow that's awesome you so, know a lot of people yeah but most people aren't very good listeners <laughs> <laughs> you know this is why i actually went to therapy when i was 19 years old so because people are bad listeners. So I'm wow. I'm 19, I'm in college, I'm in a fraternity. Yeah. And I am, you know, going through some 19-year-old stuff. And I had a lot of close friends, best friends, people I went to preschool with. Right. And I'd go to them and they'd just do their regular n- terrible listening that everyone does. <laughs> and then I'd go to someone else and I'd be like, oh, yeah. And, and it wasn't like I needed them to, to listen. I just wanted some depth, some exploration, some realness. And I even had some friends that actively would avoid those kind of conversations. Like I just bring up anything psychologically related. This is well before I you know, thought I would be a therapist. And I just bring up ideas of suffering or of personal growth. And they would actively not really want to talk with me about that. And I had a friend who was in therapy at Hall Health, and it was, I think it was just like $30 a session or something, cash, maybe less. And you, it had to have been less because I was so poor back then. So it was probably like $15 a session. And I was like, huh, well, therapists are supposed to listen. So I went to a therapist and he sat me down on one side of the room in a chair and he had this big giant desk and then he sat on the other side of the room behind the desk. Yeah, <laughs> you're making a face. I am. And I talked and talked and talked and talked and it felt good because he listened, but he didn't really actively listen to me, you know, mm. when at the end of the, uh, every session, he'd just be like, okay, well, I'll see you next next week. And I'd be like, okay. And I just kept going through the motions. And then, I don't know, five, 10 sessions in, I just stopped. I said, so what do you think about all the stuff I've been telling you? Like, I, what's going on with me? What, you know, I'm 19. I'm th- like, is yeah. there anything wrong with me? And 
he just didn't have much to say. Uh-huh. It, it, and I, I thought, is he listening? Does Or is this what therapy is? And incidentally, going back to another uh, warning sign is he told me about one of his other patients who was a student at U- University of Washington who was an identifiable woman who was on a sports team. Like, like he was yeah. like, oh, yeah, that rem- you know, kind of reminds me of this other patient of mine. And, she, you know, she's on the such and such team and, and did it, you know, and tells me about her struggles. And, of course, 19, I had no idea. But it kind of stuck in my head. I remember thinking, huh, that's interesting. I just learned this very in-depth, vulnerable information about this woman who is kind of well-known at my university. And, huh, I now have this little tidbit of secret behind the scenes of this person's life. Right. Um, but anyway, uh, so my point is, is that uh, people are just bad listeners and you're one of the good ones. Hmm. So, yeah. Thanks. Let's take a break and we get back. Let us continue. What do you say, Bob? Yes. All right, we're back from the break. So I want to do a old patron praise going back to patrons that became patrons a long, long time ago. This group of patrons, there's about 10 of them, became patrons of the podcast all the way back in October of 2016. And I want to honor them now. We have Dider from Places Unknown because they don't list their uh, address or whereabouts in the world. And by the way, whenever I do these old patron praises, I always do just first names and I do like general location in the world. So just, you know, just in case there's someone that's concerned about having their their identity out there. We have Hannah from London. We have Ellen or Elin. Not sure how to pronounce that name. We have Michael from what's B.E.? What would B.E. be? B.E. Any guesses? Belarus, BE country code. Belarus, maybe? Uh, no, Belgium, of course. Belgium. Belgium. Oh, man. So we got Belgium, Michael from Belgium. We got Desi from Long Beach, California. We've got Nia, who we know from Wales. Nia is someone that we have communicated with. We got Chris from Missouri. We have. Jay from New York. We have Knights of Old from Kirkland, Washington. Right on. We got Megan from Kentucky. And we got Michelle from Michigan. So thank you so much for all of you for being patrons for almost five years. Wow. Dider, Hannah, Elin, Michael, Desi, Nia, Chris, Jay, Knights of Old, Megan, and Michelle. Thank you so much for sticking around through thick and thin. All right, next warning sign. You don't trust them. Is that a warning sign of a bad therapist? It's a warning sign that therapy ain't going so good, and it might be a sign about the therapist, but it also might be it's very hard or scary to trust people. Right. And the thing is, is what happens when you talk about it? That's probably more interesting, more relevant to this question of is it or is it not a good therapist? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There seems to be a, a good half of these that are in that category. Yeah, right. Could be something wrong, but also, you know, it could be something wrong with the therapist, could be something wrong with the relationship, could be yeah. something wrong with you that you just carry with you, you know, not wrong with you, but, you but, know, related to your traumas. They don't specialize in your issues. Is that a warning sign? It, 
if if I'm working outside of my scope, yeah, that that's an issue. Yeah. You feel like you're getting nowhere. Is that a warning sign? I don't know. It could be. It's like one of those could be. What happens when you talk about it, I guess, is my question, though. You feel judged, shamed, or unsafe? Depends. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. Seems stronger, though, right? Oh, yeah. If you feel judged, shamed, or unsafe, there's a pretty good chance that that's on the therapist. Obviously, not always. Right. You know, it's one thing to feel like, well, I'm unsure. You know, I, I don't know if I trust this person yet. I, I'm having a hard time trusting them with more vulnerable feelings. It's pretty common, even if the therapist is perfect. But to feel judged and shamed and unsafe, then something's going wrong there, probably related to the therapist's approach. Because even if, you know, I'm just meeting a client or even if they have massive amounts of transference with me, for them to just conclude, I do not feel safe with this therapist, that's saying a lot right there. Mm -hmm. They push you too much. Is that a warning sign? It's a warning sign that you're, there's misattunement. Yeah. Yeah. But could, you know, in the extreme could absolutely be a massive warning sign that the therapist is incompetent. This is, you know, what I talk about all the time. And I used to actually do this in my early career where I would push people to not push, but I would allow or encourage or cultivate the conversation of trauma without having done the precursors that are necessary to avoid being re-traumatized by the imaginal exposure. So uh, pushing too much is definitely something that if you're in therapy for trauma-related issues, which a lot of people are, is definitely a warning sign. There's any romantic attraction from any side. Is that a warning sign? No, not by itself. No. This is this one is actually the most ridiculous of all these. It's like this is one of those things that people say and actually m- cause more problems than any kind of good. For someone to exploit, for a therapist to exploit a client in any way, yeah. then yes. But if the client is attracted to the therapist which happens all the time, Yeah, that is not a warning sign of the therapist or even of the therapy. It, it's just a side effect of therapy to some extent. If the therapist is attracted to the client also, that happens sometimes. What do you do with it? There's a lot of different approaches to that and a lot of responsible and irresponsible ways of approaching that. But this doesn't talk about any of that stuff. It just says there's any romantic attraction from any side that's a therapist warning sign. Mm-hmm. This is part of the problem. When you have this cultural notion out there, it drives everyone underground, client included, by the way, yeah. and shames them for just having a freaking reaction. You're just having, you don't have any control over a reaction. I mean, some, sometimes you kind of do, I suppose, but most circumstances you don't, at least in the initial. And this kind of thing is like the misinformation that causes therapists to be shamed to not talk about it and thus not only to suffer but also act on things because they don't have anyone to talk about it with and process it with. So that one is an irresponsible item here. Yes. The last one, they habitually miss 
says cancels or comes late to sessions. Uh, that's a weird grammar. But anyway, they habitually miss, cancel, or come late to sessions. Is that a therapist warning sign? I'm. This is really fascinating. I was just in therapy this morning. And what we started with is my therapist is chronically late. Right. You've talked about it. He's yeah. like always five minutes always late. Always late. And what I've been working on these days has to do with differentiation. And so I talked about it with him. And we had the most cool and connecting um, discussion about it. And I told him what I'd like is if he were less late. I didn't even ask him to be on time because I don't really care. It turns out I don't actually care about that. Um, and we talked about what's the meaning of the thing for me. It has to do with, you know, feeling respected and yeah. honoring my own limit. But um, what was really cool about it is I feel connected to him and I don't know if he's going to change or not. I know we can talk about it some more, but, but I, what, what happens for me or what has happened for me is if I say such a thing, I feel as though I risk our alliance. I risk, I risk his good feeling towards me. Or if I don't get like, you have to be on time or you don't respect me and get kind of rigid, then, um, um, then it's all on the line for me. Cause then if he isn't rigid, then where, where does that leave me? At least, or excuse me, then if he isn't on time, then where does that leave me? It leaves me like in this kind of weird spot. So what was cool today was holding that with, um, flexibility and, and looseness wanting what I want. Yeah. I'd like him to be on time. I've actually started coming to sessions a few minutes late. It's, you know, actually in some ways it's easier. Sorry, let me restate. I started coming to my therapy sessions a few minutes late. Not, not my sessions for, um, I'm working. Um, anyways, um, which has been nice cause then I'm not rushing to get into the thing, but, um, I just asked him to be less late and, um, we had, we talked about it for like a half an hour and, um, um, I feel as though I don't feel rigid. I feel like I've been clear about what I want. And he was very clear about how that's hard for him. And uh, why is it hard for him? Well, I couldn't say in detail because I don't know because he didn't he didn't go that far into it. But he said something about his own attachment issues. And so, you know, like, what are you going to do? He's a human. I can live with that. His own attachment issues make it so it's hard for him to show up on time. There's, there's, I'm sure there's lots more to be said, but it's not stuff that I'm privy to. So, the only thing I can think of is that he has a, he's anxious and thus can't say goodbye to the previous client. It's possible that's the case. He's never said that, but he's told you've told me that he ends your sessions on time. Yes, even when he's late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, so that doesn't seem like a good candidate. That's probably not it. I think that he probably. Um, does something between sessions that makes him late and that it isn't about ending the previous session late. I don't know what it is though. And I, you know what? I, I'm kind of curious about it, but it, but ultimately, yeah. Is it smoking? I don't, I maybe, yeah, maybe smokes. Is it, he has to check in with someone. Maybe it's the P for a really long time or something. Well, but he said attachment issues. So is it that he, worries he's worries he worries a lot and it bogs him down and he's sort of like he needs to chill out longer he needs longer chill space to kind of gear up i don't know 
I mean, at least you have an explanation, I guess. I mean, a vague one. Yeah. What, you know me, I'm always saying to folks, talk about it in therapy. Like you're having a thing with your therapist, talk about it in therapy. Yeah. It was a really good conversation um, that doesn't have to have like the simple, rigid solution. Yeah. I really like Other that. Other than be on time. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, know I, you I just don't understand. <laughs> I mean, I, so I've, since I've been coming out strong against people being late, I've uh-huh. been noticing that there are times when I'm late, but never sure. with clients uh-huh. and never with students. Right now. I'm never late to class ever. Mm-hmm. I'm right on time. Uh-huh. People know that about me. Yeah. I, I, and I also don't dilly dally. I walk into class or I start the zoom meeting and I just launch into class time. Yeah. I don't like that, you know, because as a student myself or as a participant in group meetings, I hate it when the leader just dilly-dallies for 15 minutes. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I could have come here 15 minutes late. Why am I here? Right. We're just we're just BSing about nothing. Like, right. get into the... I'm paying for this, you know, if I'm a student, you know. Yeah. So, same with being a therapist. I, you know, I, I, I'm never late to that. Mm-hmm. I'm never... I, there was a time... And I guess it still holds that I could I could recall I well, I can't now but there was a time ten years ago where I could recall off the top of my head the seven times I was late to a session. Um, one of them was so I've I think I've talked about this before. I yeah, I've I always had a home office right. for twenty four twenty one years twenty four years, and I. I'm also a night person. I'm a night owl. So I, you know, my, my body wants to go to bed at like 2 a.m. in the morning and wake up at nine or something. And I'm in bed and I hear my doorbell ring, ding dong. And I, I'm in bed. I'm asleep. I shoot up. Now, most people would go, okay, I can't really, I, I just woke up from a long night's sleep. I can't be a therapist in two minutes, but not me. I ran to the front door uh, and opened the door a crack and said, give me five minutes. I'm really sorry. I walk inside. I like wet my hair down. I brush my teeth real quick, get dressed, get my office all situated. (laughs) And within four minutes, the client's walking in and I said, sorry, I, I for, you know, I, I was, I can't remember what I said. I might've even said I, I was sleeping. Uh-huh. I, I slept in, but I was so happy. The client just launched into a session yeah. and I just began, I remember thinking, okay, brain, it's time to kick in. Cause you know, when you first wake up, but that was one time when I was late right. and I wasn't even really late, late. It was like, I was four minutes late, even though I woke up at nine o'clock and I was ready to go in my chair at nine Oh four. That's awesome. Um, <clears throat> But there were other, you know, situations. Anyway, now I've been noticed. Anyway, my point is, is I've been noticing that I will be, I am late in other contexts. Mm-hmm. Like actually I was uh, going to be on. So in the reality TV show world, there's this cast member. His name is Ash and he's a popular Instagrammer and he was on the show and I commented on him. I actually went into a lot of detail. So, so let me back up because this is a story for right you. So I'm watching this show uh, a year ago, 90 Day Fiance, and there's this guy named Ash. And a lot of people on the internet don't like him, 
but I'm trying to figure out what's going on with him. And he seemed to have some issues. Then he gives in the middle of the season this, cause he's a, he's a relationship life coach. Oh, so he gives this lecture to a bunch of women on how to date or something. And he launches into this lecture about genderizing emotions and how men think in boxes and women think in wavy lines. And, mm-hmm. and I later learned, so as I'm watching this, I am so appalled at what I'm watching and I'm having a legit like reaction video moment where I'm, I'm like falling out of my chair. Literally. I remember I was sitting right here and I'm watching this thing and I'm falling out of my chair at how ridiculous the things that he's saying. <laughs> and, and he's also botching it. Like the, the, uh, he's losing the audience and he's yeah. losing his place. He didn't seem to have any notes. He seemed to, it seemed like he walked into the lecture saying, I can just wing this. Yeah. And he was bombing hard yeah. in front of this crowd. And I just completely went at him uh-huh. with that sexist. It's actually scientifically ridiculous. Men and women do not think differently. In fact, when you study uh, human beings and you try to differentiate between the male brain and the female brain, you can't. There's way too many similarities between men and women personality-wise than there are differences so much so that when you evaluate someone's personality without knowing the gender, you cannot reliably predict the gender based on personality traits. So that should tell you that men and women, in terms of the way their brain works, is extremely similar. Are there some differences on the average? Yes, but that that's on average, and, and they're not very distinctive differences, You know, especially the way that people typically talk about gender, where... Men are like about goal oriented and men are about results and men are about like logic and women are about emotions and about, you know, the process and their left brain or whatever the F they say. This is all complete pseudoscientific crap and it's all based on the just so story that society has been teaching us in the Western world anyway for, you know, hundreds of years going back to Sartre and beyond that there's the feminine and there's the masculine and they're, they're, they're different races. They're like from different, you know, men are from Mars, women from Venus. Right. And it's all crap. It's all unscientific. There's literally no science to it. When we look at this scientifically, it's all crap. And it perpetuates dangerous notions that actually cause people all sorts of problems, including suicide. When you tell men that they are emotional and they don't have emotional needs and you don't think of men as having emotions or emotional needs, then what happens? Well, they don't reach out for help. They don't acknowledge their own needs. And guess what? They kill themselves at a much higher rate than women. Is that a mystery? Is that a complete coincidence? I don't think so. Yeah. So anyway, I'm watching this, this lecture by Ash, and I'm just going berserk. And, uh, you know, I post the video and, you know, everyone's commenting on it and stuff. Well, the cast member that day that I post it emails me or DMs me and is like, my wife, my ex-wife, who's a psychologist, he's in Australia, told me that I need to reach out to you because she's been watching your reaction videos to me. So imagine that, you know, he's, because the, the show's already done. And so he, his wife is a psychologist, 
watching this other therapist react to her husband on a reality TV show on the other side of the planet. And she goes to him and says, you got to reach out to this guy because he's actually really good. Uh And he reaches out to me the day that that comes out. Wow. And I'm like, okay. I mean, that takes a big guy to be able to, you know, and he was super nice about it. But then after we stopped chatting for a bit, I wondered if he hadn't seen the most recent video in which I totally tore him apart. Anyway, (laughs) fast forward a while later when he is going to have me on his Instagram channel for a live video. And it's this big event, you know, because he has like hundreds of thousands of followers and and it's there's a lot of media hype in the 90 Day Fiance internet world. Is it live? Yeah, that I'm going to be on his channel to do some Q&A or something. And... And this is right after I think I was going off on you or Umberto. Because Umberto, because you've talked about how you're late to your session sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Umberto is actually chronically late as well. Uh-huh. Like, he, he's much better now, but he used to just be, he was one of those people where you just, you just worked into your schedule 45 minutes late. Like, uh-huh. if you needed him to be there at 7, you told him to show up at 6 o'clock. You know what I mean? Like, you did not screw around. You did not say 7. Because... If you said seven, he'd be seven forty-five. So if you wanted, if you need him to be there by seven, you tell him six, and he'll show up just before seven. Anyway, so I'm going off, and like the audience, I gather are in three different camps when they hear me like rant and rave about this sort of thing. One is they're in the camp of I agree with Kirk. Their other camp is they don't really care. There's another camp that's like, well, I'm kind of a late person too, and I don't like Kirk shaming me because uh-huh. I have ADHD or I have issues or I have kids or you know I'm just a little scatterbrained sometimes, and I actually have a really hard time showing up on time, which I can respect, but it doesn't mean you just give up. It's not like people with ADHD are just a lost cause. Like, there's just no possible way they can ever show up to anything on time. It makes it harder, and I get that. But unless there's something inherently, like, a massive barrier, and plus most of the people that I know who show up late, it's it's nothing it's nothing they can't work on is the thing. It's nothing, you know, if they put their mind to it, they could work on it. And by the way, it is still a little bit of a mystery as to why I, why you would be late, because you're a very you're a very punctual person in other contexts with me mm-hmm. like when we podcast you're always right on time and if you're 1 minute late you're like oh my god i'm so sorry so as a side note like why do you why are you late sometimes we've talked about this before yeah but um, me and my therapist talked about it just this morning it was cool and i was thinking about it cuz what i've been doing lately is i've been i sent out an email to all my people and i said um I'm because of this trouble jamming sessions back to back. I'm frequently late for the next session. So my goal is to see my people for 55 minutes plus or minus two minutes. And that'll be success. 53 to 57 minute session is what I consider a good session. That's enough time to have a break, get some water. I don't think that's enough time. So anyways, so I started thinking about it. We were talking about it. It's like, well, what's the deal? Because I'm still noticing that I'm, I'm my, I'll sort of nudge that clock closer and closer towards the top of the hour when the next session is supposed to start. And I realized I feel guilty for ending sessions. Right. 
And so, and even when I end them in that window, especially if it's on the early side of that window, I feel guilty like I haven't done enough. Right. It's it's nuts because you know whatever. Yeah. I mean, I mean, a lot of therapists do a fifty minute hour. That's I what I do. I don't think I'll ever do that. I don't think that one. I think that I don't like that. I maybe I'll change to it, but I don't. I don't it's not what I'm going to do now. Fifty five is good. Plus minus two is enough time to plus. But fifty seven. That's not enough time in between sessions to even just mentally decompress. I don't think. Well, I don't know. Years of running 60, 61 minute sessions back to back. Maybe I'm, you know, I don't know. Maybe my brain is trained or something. But, but the thing is, is what I discovered today, 30 years into my career, um, is that it's guilt. Now, that's not a great shock when I, you know, I think about who I am and how I roll. Um, but it was it was a really important insight because I'm going to be watching that you know tomorrow when I go back to work. Well, you literally did that with me when I was talking with you on the aforementioned conversation I did. on the phone. I'm sure you were looking at the clock. I was as I was yammering, and you're yeah, like yammering. I have a three o'clock appointment. You literally told me at three o one that you had a three o'clock appointment. I made you late to your appointment. Because you were going late with with my session, you know what I mean. It was two fifty nine, and I made it on time. Oh, you did? Oh, okay. Well, on my clock, it was it was, but it was definitely. I remember going, "Whoa, you're really cutting it close," yeah. you know. So yeah, uh, and I get that. Yeah, you get that, and uh, it's workable, right? It's yeah, like okay, yeah. I, ju- I just have to work on my guilt. I have to just be differentiated in the moment, well, right? At, at five minutes till, and be like, okay. This is my guilt. It has nothing to do with anyone no. else. I just have to. Like, this is not care. This yeah. is not love. This is not providing good service. This is guilt. Yeah. You can call it anything you want. It's still guilt. Yeah. Yeah. And worst case scenario, the client that I'm talking to right now uh, dislikes something, you know, we'll deal with it next session. Yeah. Like they're allowed to. Right. It's okay to dislike stuff. Right. It's okay that they're disappointed in me. And yeah. I'm a little disappointing sometimes, you know. Yep. And that's not anything that I have to ruin my life over or the next client. Right. And also, what about the therapeutic value in talking about disappointment? Yeah. Awesome. Right. Like they get to be disappointed. Yeah. And then learn about it or whatever it is, you know, yeah. like their own guilt or who knows what. Right. Yeah. But yeah. Right. And that's juicier than. Gets you motivated. Oh, fuck yeah. To just cut that Excuse session off. Swearing? Yes, it does. It totally motivates me. Yeah. Anyway, since I'm instituted my thing, I'm actually a lot better. Oh. Like, I'm late probably by one minute about 15 to 20% of my week. Yeah. I think another reason why people are late is anxiety. There's a, a lot of, especially now, I think with pandemic times, as as we're leaving the house, you just think, do I have all the things? Have I have I concluded all of the, have I wrapped up all the issues I have to in my house? Is Are the doors locked? Are the dogs okay? Is the stove on? Do I have all my supplies? Do I have a mask? What if I need this? What if I get thirsty? You know, I think there's a lot of anxiety, which is also okay yeah. and normal. But so I want to be clear to everyone. I'm not saying if you're late, there's something in, in wrong with you, like there's something shameful about it. What I'm saying is that it is your responsibility to actually try to figure out a way to to address it. You don't just give up and say, well, I'm, I'm just that sort of person that's always late. If you're late to your friends, 
eh, you know, it, it's disrespectful, but it's, I, you know, I guess it's just between you and your friends. But if you're a therapist, you know, as you were talking about, Bob, I, you know, I feel for you with, especially the kind of work you're doing with that therapist. Imagine, mm-hmm. so what, so tell me about, imagine if your therapist showed up on time for the next two years, every single time, like boom, right on the hour. How would that feel? Amusing. <laughs> How so? Well, we get to talk about it like you're on time today. What he said to me today is, you know, when we're talking. I mean, I guess you really trust him generally yeah. that just because he's late, it doesn't, it doesn't make you question him and his care for you. No. Uh, I think, though, that there was a time when I would have braided those together. Okay. And so, but um, he said, you know, talking about it in this way made him want to strive to be closer to on time next week. And, you know, we had a chuckle. We'll see what we'll see what happens. Right? It's interesting. Yeah, because the strength of the relationship is the foundation. And this is uh, something juicy to talk about. But yeah. it, but it doesn't ruin it because of the, the strong relationship work that you've done over the years. The four years of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. well the first time I talked about it with them was probably three years ago. And. It scared the hell out of me. And I'm like, I hope I never have to talk to him about being on time again. Yeah. Because I'm thinking, you know, it's all on the line now. And back then, the relationship wasn't as strong. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you're as good as him, you can really counteract any lateness by doing really his superior work with relationship work. Yeah. By the way, does he consider himself an attachment-based or a humanistic therapist or... Good question. I'd, I'd be curious to see how he align, you know, what sort of orientation he identifies with, interpersonal or something. I, I'd, I would guess it's that one. Yeah, but um, I would also guess that he would not like to be categorized. <laughs> <laughs> it's very humanistic of him. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, anyway, so getting back to Ash. Oh yeah, what happened? Um, so I'm ranting and raving on you or Umberto about lateness. And then like the next week, there's this big media event where right. I'm going to be on Ash's Instagram. And I have never done one of these Instagram live video TVs. I don't know how, I don't even know the word for it, but like, I didn't know uh, that you could do that. And so I, at time came at, you know, whatever time o'clock, I tried to figure out what to do. You know, I tried to, uh, log in and and join the video, but I didn't know how, and I was scrambling to figure it out, and I was ten minutes late because I I I didn't know how to do it. Yeah, and then I got all these comments about like oh, all that time when Kirk was ranting already about being late, and here he is being late. Oh, <laughs> people love to snipe, don't they? Right. So I've dug myself in the hole right now, yeah. where if I if I'm late to anything involving the listeners, I have that third of people who felt shamed by me. That will absolutely shame me. And I, it's fine. And I know it's lighthearted. But <laughs> it just made me like ultra paranoid now about being on time Aww. when it when the listeners are are involved. Um, and, you know, to be more, maybe more kind of honest or scrutinizing about it, I think what I've realized, a number of things. One is, is that I, th- I don't think I'm as on time as consistently as I think I am. Um, I think I've, cause I've been more aware of things. I'd be like, actually I am occasionally late sometimes, you know, to a family function. Um, I was purposely late to your birthday party. Really? Yeah. Because 
I knew we were going to watch a movie, and I knew we couldn't watch the movie until it was dark. Dark, yeah. And so I'm like, I'm probably going to be there until like midnight. And, yeah. you know, six to midnight, that's kind of a long haul. Long, long. So I was like, yeah, I'll show up, you know, 15 minutes to seven, you know. It, so I wasn't, you know. But, yeah, I, I was purposely, quote, yeah. unquote, late yeah. um, for that reason. But anyway, my point is, is that I've noticed that I'm actually not on time all the time. So I, I'll, I'll say that for that for that third of people that felt shame by me, I'll shame myself. And it's like, the, the other thing, and I think I've talked about this before, is that I have been tremendously hurt by people who have been late. That's what it is. Yeah, and that's why that's what the frustration and anger and hostility that I have in my tone is from that hurt place. I'm getting hurt. To invite someone, you know, I, I think I've talked about this before too. Of like, I, I had a friend who was always late and. I asked him to take me to the airport and because I couldn't afford, you know, a cab or any, or a shuttle or oh, something. Yeah, right. And I'm sitting on the front. This is before, was it before cell phones? Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm sitting on the porch of my, I just remember just sitting there at the porch of my house going, do I call a cab? And, but I'm living in, I'm living in suburbia in Lake city. And I'm like, by the time I call a cab, I'll, it'll probably be too late by the time the cab gets here. And you never know when a, this is before Uber. So you never know when a cab is going to get here. So I'm just sitting there, and I need to get to the airport because it's a big deal to fly somewhere. I don't know where I was going, but um, to miss a flight, then you have to pay more money, which I didn't have. Like, I remember it was really anxiety-provoking, and he showed up, and he didn't even live that far away. You know what I mean? He just lived, like, across town. And he he shows up, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes, 45 minutes late, and he he pulls up, and he's just kind of like, ah, sorry, I'm late. And I'm like, really? I mean... You know, and it wasn't like I I gave myself a huge buffer zone. You know, like I was scrambling to get on that plane. Yeah, and I just felt like, and I was, and he didn't have any excuse. He's like, ah, oh, I just got caught up with something, and I and I'm ninety nine percent sure he was just playing a video game. Probably, yeah. And he just he just, was like, oh, I'll, eh, I can I can stretch it. You know, I can I'll I'll, I'll speed on my way up there. Ah, oh, just one more turn. You know, yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. And it's like that's hurtful. Yeah, to be one treated like you don't matter and that your schedule doesn't matter and that your life doesn't matter and that your anxiety doesn't matter and that your the need for you to get on the plane doesn't matter that hurts to be that hurts so or you uh invite someone to dinner or something you're like hey let's meet at dinner you know seven o'clock da 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 and they show up an hour and a half late and you're just sitting there by yourself in the restaurant and maybe they have a good excuse Oh, the kids were acting up or something. Okay, but you knew you had kids, and you knew they might have an issue. You know, unless something really, abs- uh, you know, strange happened, like sure. the kids suddenly got sick or one of the kids fell down the stairs. You know, I get it totally. But usually, it was you know in the in the lifetime that I've been hurt in these moments, it was something where or traffic or something. Oh, really bad traffic. It's like, well, it's like, oh, that's bad traffic. I I knew. I know Seattle has bad traffic. I got here early. Yeah. <laughs> I left well in advance right. knowing, you know, I, it was a priority to me. Right. You are a priority to me. And thus I did the prerequisite preparing so that I could be here on time because I don't want to give you the impression yeah. that I don't care about you. Yeah. But to be treated this way, mm. you know, it hurts. And so, and I don't think I ever had a therapist who showed up late, mm. like, you know. God bless a therapist that shows up too late for me. <laughs> Lots to talk about. Yeah. Um, 
you know, with COVID now, yeah, people do Zoom sessions. Yeah. And you're right about the traffic in Seattle. It's, there's more cars than there are roads. So yeah. um, people are, you know, and everybody's getting used to the transition now. If they're going to drive to an office, they actually have to cut time out. When there's COVID, it's just you move from one thing to the next. And it's just this Zoom meeting to that Zoom meeting and, you know, whatever, right? Right. But now they're going to be, you know, some folks are going to want to come on, come in person. Right. And, you know, okay, fine. If I'm going to go into my office, that's cool. And, you know, what's going to happen. Someone's going to call up and say, well, I'm stuck in traffic. Can we just do it by Zoom? Because that's what we've been doing. Yeah. And my answer is no. Why? Because um, that feels bad. That feels like um, 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 the therapy is not valued, there, that, that the person is not valuing the therapy the way I value it. And so if somebody's running late and wants to sub out a Zoom session, I'm going to say no. I'm going to let everybody know this ahead of time so that they're all oriented. Um, but I'm not doing a sub Zoom session. And if you come late, then so be it. You come late. I'm not going to give anybody a raft of shit for coming late. But right. But I'm also yeah. I not think gonna, I would do the same yeah. because I, I don't like to create a precedent of chaos and no and the yeah. lack of the frame. You Absolutely, know what I mean? yeah. the frame matters. Yeah, it matters. I'm just thinking. I don't want to sit through an hour and be resentful. Right. You know. Oh, okay. All right. I'll do a Zoom thing to be a nice guy because you're stuck in traffic. Right. And I know I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna feel good about that. So I'm be orienting people as they start to want to come in live. That I'll probably send out another group email so that everybody's clear about. Yeah, I hadn't policies. thought about this. Yeah, what I would. Yeah, right. Because people. Because that door is now open of yep. like, well, we can just do Zoom today. Yep. Uh, you know, I'm late. We'll just do Zoom. Right. Right. So I think the communication, everyone is like, and by the way, I don't do Zoom. I only do phone. I hate Zoom. I oh, hate, right. I hate Zoom. I hate, hate video it. conferencing. Really? Just hate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hate it. I hate teaching over Zoom. I hate, you know, I would a hundred times rather talk like with you and me. When we talk on the phone, we don't go, hey, let's Zoom. Why no, is that? that's true. Because yeah. I don't want to, I mean, I could get into like why like video, you can't have eye contact or. Sure. Or and it lags sometimes or I don't know. Sure. But I just, and when I'm on the phone, I like to kind of, I like to pace. Yeah. So I can't pace when I'm Zooming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm locked in my chair right here. So, but that's interesting. Yeah. So telling clients, look, okay, we're now switching to in-person unless Mm -hmm. another lockdown happens, which means that there's no, I'm not offering phone sessions anymore. There, there's no offer of that. So if you're, if you're going to be late or something like this, you're just going to have to reschedule another in-person meeting. Yeah. Um, Right. So you'd have to have that conversation. Otherwise people would think, well, we can just do phone today, you know, that kind of thing. I'm probably going to make it like my cancel policy. Like if you schedule an in-person, if you want to change it to a Zoom, you have to give me two days notice. Right. And if you schedule a Zoom, then fine. You know, it's a Zoom, whatever. Right. But you can't switch. I think what I would just tell people is uh, teletherapy is off the table the way it was before. Because it's not like I offered it in the past. I think it's going to be a hybrid now. People are some people are going. To I know, but through. I don't want that. You know, like oh, you're just going to do live sessions or 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 not. Well, that's what I did before. It's I didn't offer phone sessions before. I didn't right. offer video. I never offered video sessions. Right. If people said, "Can we do a phone session?" I'd be like, no, right? <laughs> like, 
it's not the optimal setting of therapy. Yeah. The optimal setting is we're knees to knee, you know, maybe like a foot apart, Understood. knees to knee. Yeah. And I see your full body, you see mine, and we get each other. And I can, you know, hold your hand if you're crying or, um, I don't know, just the whole thing. Uh, so that's, that's therapy to me. And yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna compromise on that. Right on. And if you don't like it, but I think that's what people want. I mean, that's what people wanted in the past. You know, it's a bit of a pain in the ass. I get it to get to the office and whatnot, yeah. but I, I don't remember anyone complaining in the past. I think this, I think this teletherapy wave, which is good because we need to deliver services in the, the uh, situation of a pandemic, but I don't know. Cause like at my university, because of this whole thing, there's a whole wave of classes that are now going to be permanently. Did I tell you that case consultation is going to be permanently online now? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. So case consultation, if you don't know listeners, is a group class, usually five, six, seven students and a professor slash supervisor who is supervising those students' works while they're at internship. And so these interns come in for three hours and there's a lot of bonding. There's a lot of crying. There's a lot of discussing how to be the best therapist. There's a lot of de- development theory talk. You know, it's really like where the rubber meets the road. And I've been teaching this class for a long time. I've been teaching this one section nonstop without break for 11, 12 years. And, um, and so it's an intense class. And there's a, the relationships you build in that class are very important, particularly with your supervisor, to feel safe, to feel like you know, you really get that person. You know, it's a mentorship thing. It's not just a didactic class where you're teaching PowerPoints or stuff. That stuff can be done over Zoom right. without much problem. I still think it's substandard, though. I still mm-hmm. think that that is... Because, like, one of the issues that just drives me crazy... I guess it's because I taught for so long in person and I know how good it can be that I I see Zoom and I see all these... Because some of these students have none, have known nothing else. They've only known online learning because they started school during the pandemic or they right. started just before. And so, you know, in person, when I'm lecturing, someone just blurts out a question, you know, which is good. Or someone says a joke, which is good. Or there's crosstalk, which is sometimes good, sometimes bad. But there's an environment of communication. It's free. You can just speak and be heard and have a conversation I can see someone's body language and and be able to know what's going on with them as a student. I'm in tune with what's happening in the room, the the emotions. Over Zoom, that's deadened by about 90%. And students, when you're over Zoom, you know, only one person can talk at a time. Two people can't talk at the same time on Zoom. It it turns off one person's microphone or it becomes illegible. Yeah, you can't. Two people talking at the same time doesn't work. Right. And the students feel completely like they can't disrespect you as a professor and just blurt something out. So what do they do? One, they don't say anything. Or two, they, there's this chat, yeah. which drives me nuts. Because while I'm talking, I will see these chats, you know, like popping up in the middle of me trying to talk. And then I have to stop in the mid-sentence of a lecture and read what someone's chatting. And I'll just be like, just... Just blurt out. Don't even. And, and the other thing that drives me crazy is that people, because they're being, they're trying to be respectful, they will literally raise their hand on Zoom. Yeah. And then 
you know, I'll call on them and they'll be like, oh, and then they take, okay. And I could see them futzing with their computer about, they have to unmute themselves. So it, it drags everything to a halt. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And maybe it's just three seconds, but it's, it, it feels bad in, Uh in class. One, someone just blurts out a question. They'll be like, well, what about what? And I'll be like, well, good question. Or they raise their hand, I call them, then there's no fucking mute button. They just they just ask the question. And there can be little backs and, you know, someone would be, oh, that's a good question. You know, there's there's more connection. And therapy is about connecting. Therapy is about human beings being with other human beings. It is not about human beings communicating through the cyber world, which I find to be in- incredibly substandard. Why did we teach classes in buildings for so many years when we had the capability of teaching them over the internet for the past 20 years? Why did we do that? It was for a reason. It was because it's better. So this notion that at my university, they're going to teach all case consultation classes online now without any option. You know, it'd be one thing it's like half and half and like, well, for the students who really want in-person, they can sign up for these in-person sections, and the professors who want to teach the in-person sections can teach the in-person. But I don't even know if any professors want to teach it in-person. I think they all love Zoom. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. But I am not happy about that development. Yeah. And I am not in charge, and so that's fine. <laughs> if you were chair... If I was chair, I would never do this. In fact, there were many moments where the university, because the university is about profit, about staying afloat, essentially. It's a small university. It's a business. Yeah. It's all businesses. Yeah. I mean, they care, but it's also like uh, our budgets are in constant threat of plummeting. And so Mm -hmm. let's try to shave here, cut here. And one of the ways that they were always pressuring me as a program director was having more online courses because you don't have to have a off you don't have to have a classroom. Right. So if you don't have a classroom, you don't have to pay for rent. You don't have to pay for heating. You don't have to do all the things that are necessary to have a campus. And so um, you don't even have you know professors can work from home. They don't have to give them an office. You know, and I was like, no, <laughs> like uh, online therapy. For some classes can be okay and and actually can be very convenient. And for some people, it's actually the only way they can go through graduate school. Maybe they have a disability or they live in a very rural area or they have kids that they they can't pull away from for that amount of time. And I get that. And there are online schools that can do that. But if possible, in-person classes, I think. I mean, what do you think? Um, I would prefer in-person classes and... I think that online therapy is good enough to produce results. And so I'm imagining my future is going to be a hybrid mm-hmm. of folks that come, folks that don't come. It, do you prefer it? Do you, are you like, you know what? I kind of like, I kind of like I, the hybrid. There, there is something I like about it. It's some of the generics, some of the nonspecific to therapy stuff. Like I don't have to leave my house. I, I hang out with Colleen all day. I kind of like that. Um, I don't have to get up as early because it takes less to get ready. And, um, I, I'm in a comfortable, pl- well, my office is comfortable, but you know, I don't have to, I don't have to go anywhere. I'm, yeah. You know, so it's, there's, there's some, um, ancillary things that I really like. Um, it's, I think it's, it works. It's good enough. Like I think 
the last year and change, I've been helpful to my people. Mm-hmm. So if that weren't the case, which is what I thought would be the case whenever COVID started, I thought, oh, this online therapy is going to tank. It's just not going to help. But it, actually, it seems like it's okay. And there are um, a significant population of my people that for this reason or that can't otherwise come. Like like they wouldn't actually be able to come. Like right now, I could see anybody in Washington State. Mm-hmm. And if I'm the only couple counselor, say, that's available, you know, and they happen to live, you know, three hours away, then at least they get that, right? And yeah. I, don't, I actually don't have anybody that lives outside the region yeah not 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 terribly outside the region so um so but the therapist in me just the straight therapist i think in person is better yeah i can touch people's feet that's what i do when i'm in couple therapy is i'm often sliding my chair up touching somebody's foot either to interrupt them or to reassure them you know um i haven't touched anybody's feet in a long time (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know maybe i'm just old and Getting, I don't know if you're old. Getting like, get off my lawn, stop doing online you classes. You sound curmudgeonly. You yeah. sound like you're clear about what you think is right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I worry about the students. I, I worry that the yeah. students are going to, because in case consultation, it's a very vulnerable place. I don't I don't see that one working. Well, yeah. It's a very vulnerable place. Yeah. You need a lot of help, mentorship, and a lot of uh student to student support and if you're just over zoom you know a lot of case consultation benefit was people would show up early and leave late and before and after class i would notice the students would be talking a lot with each other and yeah. really and really bonding right and you can c- try to facilitate that over zoom but it's not the same you can't facilitate it over zoom not in any yeah. significant way right it's not the same no and i and i feel like it's one so american to to just use technology and ignore humanness. Yes. And two, it is also a trend in our industry, which is moving away from humanistic psychodynamic ideals and towards CBT, which yeah. is which is totally a Zoom thing now. Yeah. And I I worry about all of the the river flowing in that direction right. and, and us just giving in, you know, because part part of me is almost maybe just on principle of like, even if zoom does work and students are fine with it, it's like, I want to stand for a principle of this is about human beings. And you wouldn't want, like, let me give you an analogy. Would you want to be married over zoom? (laughs) Right. Do you not, do you think that's substandard? I think most people would say yes. Go to my father's funeral over zoom. Yeah. Ick. Right. So why would therapy in some ways is way more intimate and more intense than that. Yeah. And over Zoom? Yeah. Like that's okay? Yeah. I don't think that's okay. Yeah. Uh, doing a CBT exercise of automatic thoughts, yeah, I guess that can be over Zoom. Guess. <laughs> well, you know, like the Zoom calls that people would have, like the, you know, the weekly, you know, family dinner, we'll do it over Zoom, you know. At first, I thought they were kind of cool. At least it was a way to stay connected. And after a while, I it's just it. tedious. That was actually the worst of it. So teaching classes I got used to. Clients I definitely didn't want to do Zoom. Phone, I, phone I'm pretty comfortable with. Sure. 
But the Zoom family stuff drove me nuts right away because if you think about the way a family get-together works, like you had your birthday party yeah. last weekend, and the way it works is people pair up or in small groups of three, and you have these little conversations. You don't talk to everyone at the same time. I mean, imagine at your birthday party, there were, what, 10, 15 people there, yeah. if only one person could talk at a time. So, and... Everyone who says, you know, the person who happens to say something, all eyes are on them. That's That can be overwhelming. I think mm-hmm. that's another part of it mm-hmm. of, okay, I'm going to say something. And the other thing is, is like when you're socializing, there's a lot of crosstalk. There's a lot of banter and back and forth and interrupting and like joke jokesters and, you know, making it fun. You can't do that over Zoom. And yeah, right away with my family, I was just like, this is rough. I mean, it it was a... It was better than nothing, yeah. But it was not preferable. Right. Far from it. <laughs> I've now had two in-person large group parties with all vaccinated people. One was with my family on Mother's Day, which felt euphoric, and one yeah. was at your birthday, right? Which also felt euphoric. A yeah. little less euphoric because I already had the experience, but it was still there. The ability to hug everyone and not wear masks and uh, not constantly use hand sanitizer and be inside. And be not normal. A, not to stand four feet away and be, or six feet away and be right. mindful of it. Right. Everyone vaccinated. Yeah. And it just felt it felt really amazing. And yeah. I and I I wondered if my physiology actually got better over that time too. I don't know about that, but meaning meaning that I wonder how many of us are suffering mentally or physically and. We wonder if a part of that has to do with lack of human interaction. Contact. Yeah. Physical in the room. Yeah. You know, hanging out. Yeah. Um, anyway. Well, there's a reason people find it euphoric. It's not because it has to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. So in conclusion, yeah. therapist warning signs. Let me rattle off some that I would list off. All right. Off the right top, of my, top of my head. Oh, okay. We'll, let's see what happens. The therapist starts to talk with you about sexuality in a way that suggests the therapist is in it for their own needs. Mm. (laughs) The therapist overshares and just has generally bad boundaries. The therapist talks about other clients in any way, shape, or form that is identifiable. It's one thing for a therapist to say, like, you know, I've worked with clients with this issue before, or I once had a client who had a similar issue, and here's what we found worked. You know, that that general thing. General. But I have a client, I have so-and-so, I mean, one person wrote in and they said that their therapist literally said, oh, your friend is my client. Yeah, I remember Something that. Something like that. Yeah, I know? remember that. Or... Ick. Or I'm seeing your your husband's ex-wife or something. I can't right. remember what it was. So that's a definite warning sign. Uh, feeling shamed and judged. Feeling like the therapist isn't taking the time and the effort to really listen and to make you know that they're listening. Um, I think that would be the main ones off the top of my head. I guess another one is that they... They can't answer the question, what are you doing to me therapeutically? What's, what are you doing? Like, how are you, you know, here's my goal. Right. Uh, what, 
what's your approach with me? Right. If they can't, if they don't have an answer to that, that's that's a pretty big warning sign. There's a chance that they are a wonderful therapist, but there's also a pretty good chance that they don't have any idea what they're doing, which so, so many therapists just have no idea. And it's because of bad education and bad supervision. But I wrote out my elevator speech because it was an assignment in a course I was taking. But even then, if someone had a specific question, like how do you treat you know complex PTSD, and you give your elevator like, well, but how does that specifically relate to me? Well, the thing about the elevator speeches is it's helped me make me more articulate about what is I do in general. Yeah. I like that I have it because now I'm thinking about things. Like, I have to say case conceptualization has not been a strength of mine. We didn't really get taught it. No. Um, and so um, I've learned a lot about case conceptualization just by listening to you. And then by thinking about, you know, and taking time to write out my elevator speech and having had to deliver it, it makes me more mindful of what I'm what I'm about. That's good. I like right. that. Right. And it, you know, you had to remind yourself to oh, yeah. stick with it after grad, after grad school. And most therapists don't. don't. Yeah. Um, and, and I get it. Um, and I was there kind of at the beginning of my career. It's just overwhelming. You're just thinking mm-hmm. like, oh, I, I don't even know where to begin. Mm-hmm. And so you just get defensive about it and say things like, well, it, I'm just going to tell clients that I have an approach and they're just going to have to experience it or whatever you say to right. avoid. And you dig yourself into that right. mindset. And anyway, do you have any warning signs to add? Yeah. Um, loose boundaries with money. Mm. Um, aggressive certainty in general is to be avoided. Mm. Um, actual sexual contact. Um, absolute. Ab- no. Yeah. No. Um, like hands on feet. No, that one's, that one's, that's different. <laughs> My God. <laughs> Don't think I haven't had the thought that so-and-so is going to think there's something odd here. So what I usually do is I say, look, I touch people's feet. This is why I do it. You say it. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm yeah. explicit. And I always say, if you don't want me to, I don't have to. And I've had Good. clients who have trauma and they don't like being touched. And so usually what I do is say, my, my supervisor called it proximal touch. So you don't actually touch, but you sort of gesture towards. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I do that um, um, when in doubt or when I've been coached, when I've been, um, you know, when someone lets me know. No. Yeah. No, like. Yeah, it's a wonderful approach. And, yeah. and touch in therapy, uh, especially that. You know, they're wearing shoes. Yeah. Uh, you're not caressing their toes no, or anything. No. And it's just a pat, you know, real quick yeah. Yeah. Um, can be a very therapeutic thing. That right. that contact can be really great, yeah. I think if somebody were wearing sandals, I probably would just touch the bottom, their sole, the sole of their shoe. I don't think I'd touch their skin. Okay. Yeah. That would just feel like, I don't know. So they, in my head, they have to be crossing their legs so that their foot is available uh-huh. to you. Most people do. Okay. Yeah. Because otherwise you'd have to go all the way down to the floor right. or do you touch their knee? I have done that occasionally, but mostly, see, the thing is, is I do mostly couple counseling now and I have a couch. So people have to turn their bodies, which means one foot is coming up. I don't have swivel chairs mm-hmm. and I keep going back and forth about that. Sometimes I think, you know, Bob, you should get swivel chairs. In which case, I think what I'd end up doing is I would end up rolling my, I'm on a whirly chair, which I didn't used to be, but now I like it. Mm-hmm. And I lean, I imagine that what I do is I lean down and literally reach for someone's toe, like <laughs> the toe of their shoe or whatever, and tap that, even if it's on the ground. But I, I have a couch now, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You should get like a, a long, 
uh, wand. Yeah, right. And then you could just sort of smack him on the back of the head or something. A, telefo- a telescoping back scratcher that looks like a hand. Yeah, that's what I had in my head. <laughs> High five. Yeah, just kind of like, <laughs> okay, let's knock it off. Or good job. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Everyone out there, please take care of yourself because... You deserve it.